This is the Bible in Wenya, day 138. How to satisfy your soul. Bernhard Langer was one of the best golfers of his generation, twice winning the US Masters and at one time topping the world's golf rankings. He said, I had won seven events in five different continents. I was number one in the world and I had a beautiful young wife. Yet there was something missing. The lifestyle we all, especially us sportsmen, are leading, it's all about money and who you are and who you know and what you have. And these things aren't really the most important things. I think people who have these things, they realize there is still something missing in their life. And I believe that is Jesus Christ. The spiritual emptiness that Bernhard Langer is describing is common to all humanity. One young woman said to me that she felt there was a chunk missing in her soul. You are not simply body and mind. You are a soul, created for a relationship with God. How then do you satisfy your soul? From Psalm 63 You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Seek God day and night. Spiritual food is just as real as physical food, and it satisfies us in a way that cannot be satisfied by anything physical. David was in the desert. He knew what physical thirst and physical hunger was like. But he also knew and experienced spiritual thirst. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And he knew what it was like for his spiritual hunger to be satisfied. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. His spiritual hunger and thirst are satisfied as he worships God. So, here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. He lifts his hands as an expression of adoration, reverence and surrender. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, 
I will lift up my hands. Lifting up hands is the oldest gesture of prayer. As Pope Benedict wrote, this gesture is the radical form of worship. To open oneself to God, to surrender oneself completely to Him. What do you do when you can't sleep or you have wakeful moments in the night? David says that he worships and praises God. I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches. As he pours out his heart in worship day and night to God, David discovers strength and support. He writes, Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Lord, I seek you today. Thank you that you satisfy my soul as with the richest of food and quench my spiritual thirst. Thank you that your love is better than life. New Testament from John 10 Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside... What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's Son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Communicate with God through Jesus. How do you and I communicate with God? Communication with Jesus is communication with God. Those who met Jesus understood he was claiming to be God. When he said, I and the Father are one, and the Father is in me, and I am in the Father, there was no ambiguity in the ears of his hearers. 
His opponents understood it as blasphemy, because you, a mere human being, claim to be God, and they picked up stones to stone him. Jesus communicated with his disciples, and he continues to communicate with us. He says, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. We see here the marks of a true Christian. First, believing in Jesus. There is a contrast in this passage between those who believed in Jesus and those who do not believe. Belief in Jesus means believing in him when he says, I am God's son, and putting your trust in him. Second, knowing Jesus. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. To be a Christian is to recognize and follow the voice of Jesus. This is what defines a Christian. Not so much knowledge about Jesus, but actually knowing him. This is then followed up by the wonderful declaration that Jesus also knows us. Third, following Jesus. Jesus says, they follow me. It affects your life. As Jesus says elsewhere, by their fruit you will recognize them. James wrote, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. The primary evidence of faith is love. Those who follow Jesus will follow his example of love. Jesus promises every true Christian, I give them eternal life. This is not just about quantity of life. It's also about quality. Jesus satisfies our spiritual hunger and thirst. In a relationship with Jesus, we find this deep soul satisfaction that cannot be found anywhere else. Jesus promises that this relationship with him will go on forever. It starts now, but it is eternal. Those who follow Jesus will never perish. This is a gift. I give them eternal life. It cannot be earned, nor can it be lost. Jesus promises no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. There may be many struggles and temptations along the way, but ultimately the hand of Jesus and the hand of the Father are engaged together in protecting you. A Christian may lose their job, their money, their family, their liberty, and even their life, but they can never lose eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that I can listen to your voice, that I can know you, and that you give me eternal life. Thank you that you promise I will never perish and that no one can snatch me out of your hand. Thank you that in this relationship I find soul satisfaction both now and forevermore. Old Testament from 1 Samuel 1 and 2 There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. 
This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. 1 Samuel chapter 2 Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, 
There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and makes them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, Let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him, when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? 
His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Pour out your heart and soul to God. Is there something you want desperately from God? It is almost inevitable that at times in our lives we will feel distress of soul. Never allow bitterness to eat away in your heart, but like Hannah, pour it out to the Lord, crushed in soul. Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. There is nothing more releasing than to pour out your soul before the Lord, to tell Him what your problems are rather than carrying them around yourself, and to ask for the solution and then to receive the peace of God. Relief from her anguish comes to Hannah long before she actually sees the answer to her prayer. This is a beautiful picture of heartfelt prayer from the depth of the soul. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli accuses her of being drunk. She replies, Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli tells her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And as she left, her face was no longer downcast. She ate heartily, her face radiant. She knew deep down that God had heard her prayer, and indeed the Lord remembered her. In fact, God more than answered her prayer. Not only did he give her the child she longed for, she gave birth to six children. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. This is the prayer we've prayed so often for our children. Hannah's prayer after Samuel's birth is a vivid demonstration of the soul satisfaction that she experiences through her relationship with God. She prays and thanks God that those who were hungry hunger no more. The amazing revelation in Hannah's prayer is that the supreme source of her joy is not her child, but in the Lord. She says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. He is the source of soul satisfaction. I'm walking on air. God brings life. He rekindles burned-out lives with fresh hope, restoring dignity and respect to their lives. Lord, thank you for amazing answers to prayer, which you give when I pour out my soul to you. Thank you that sometimes you answer my prayers in remarkable ways. But whether I receive what I specifically ask for or not, thank you that you promise me your peace. Pepper adds, I've always been rather worried about Hannah and Samuel. Hannah chose to give up her son, Samuel, and he went off to live with an old priest and his two wicked sons. Not an ideal nurturing situation. I've wondered how many years Hannah could get away with feeding Samuel before he was fully weaned. Hopefully it was at least ten years. Yet, in spite of the fact that it was not an ideal parenting situation for Samuel, and probably not much fun or football or family games, Samuel grew up with God, knowing God, and learning to hear his voice. It's a relief that a child can do well, even if our parenting is far from perfect.